Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So very good to have you with us today. We uh, are excited about what the Lord's doing in our midst. I, uh, this week, uh, am on loan from you to Mexico. So uh, literally tomorrow morning, about 6 a.m., I fly out uh, and carrying some books with me, and I'm going to go, and we're going to be in training with 75 leaders in the Mexico City area. That means I get to be with one of my best friends, Roberto Stevenson, which is pretty, you know, I like that a lot. He's going to pick me up at the airport, and we're going to have some fun together. But having said that, midweek, I fly back and uh, go to Alabama. Uh, I told Alabama, listen, there's a camp meeting over there. By the way, this camp meeting it's outside. It's so they, why would you in Alabama decide to have an outside? Oh man. And, and then I, I've been there before, like 25 years ago and just said, man, I'm never coming back here again. Well, here I am. So anyway, it's sawdust. Literally ever heard of the sawdust trail? It's sawdust out on. So it's sawdust. It's just hot as it can be. And for some reason I said, yeah, sure. I'll come. So here we go. But I told him, but Sundays I want to be my people. And so I'm coming back on Sundays and uh, to be with you. But nonetheless, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching there. As always, you can stay in contact by phone. My, my phone number's in the bulletin every week, so you know how to contact me. I never want to be apart from you. And by phone, we're very much together. So keep that happening. There's all kinds of people here with skin on that can come to your rescue as we uh, let them know about your need. Good. Okay, so this is what we're doing. For the summer, we're going to be getting into what I'm going to call the big voices, there are, in the Old Testament, there are a number of prophets, as well you know. And then there are a number of bigger voices, as well as smaller voices. Now, big voices doesn't mean they're more important. It just means they're major prophets. And then in the back is minor prophets. Now, minor prophets typically means they're shorter books than the major prophets. That's it. But I thought major, big, whatever. We're going to talk about the big voices this summer. And so what we're going to do, and by the way, I've never done this before because I don't know how to do it. I thought, well, so I still don't know how to do it, except we're going to spend three weeks on each one of the big voices, okay? So three weeks on Isaiah. Now, that's not even possible. I can't even hope to give you a depth understanding of Isaiah in three weeks. Nonetheless, I think what we can do is say, generally, we know what Isaiah was all about, what Isaiah was generally doing. Then we're going to go to the next book. So it's Isaiah, it's Jeremiah. I'm going to put Jeremiah and Lamentations together because he wrote both those books. And I'm going to put Jeremiah in three weeks. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Do three weeks in Ezekiel, do do three weeks in Daniel. So just want you to know what's coming. I just thought it'd be fun. Just uh, hear the big voices. And they're all, what's what's really great about this is they're all saying, we got a problem. And uh, particularly Isaiah, but particularly all of them. We got a problem and we need an answer. Of course, that answer points right to Jesus. So it's going to be a fun summer. So big voice number one is Isaiah. I'd like for you to turn in Isaiah to the first chapter. I want to remind you, and maybe you don't need reminding, uh, but out there uh, on the wooden table as you come in, every week I put basically the sermon notes. So we say stuff beyond the sermon notes, but nonetheless the sermon notes. See, Aubrey has one. Just wave that, Aubrey. See, some of you have them. No one has to have them, but I want you to know they're there for you. And you can carry them home. You say, boy, that one thing you said, I wonder if that's in the notes. It might be, maybe not, but most of the stuff I say are there. And on the back of this thing, particularly for this summer, on the back of those notes 
are a chart of the book. And so for the next three weeks, it's going to be the same chart, but the book of Isaiah here, uh, as you can chart it out and see it. So what we're going to do is read out of Isaiah 1 today. Just let me explain to you real quick about what Sermon 1 of Isaiah is going to cover today. Incredibly, we're covering 39 chapters today. Wow, huh? So sometime around uh, 5.30 or 6, you'll be able to go home and talk about it even further. So now we're, we're going to zip through it. Uh, and what I'm going to do is basically say, this is what's in these 39 chapters. Let's hunker down on one passage. So that's, that's what we're going to do every week, because that's my favorite way to preach, is hunker down on one passage. So what we're going to do is cover 39 chapters today, and it's Isaiah 1 through 39. And again, there's a nice chart uh, in the back of the notes today. And what that chart covers is to say, yeah, we got a problem. And that's verses one to thir- chapter 1 to 39. And on the sterner virtues of God and of this book, you can see that on that chart. That is, God is the judge. Salvation is needed. We're all going to answer to him. And the virtues of God highlighted in the first half of this volume in the first 39 chapters are primarily holiness, righteousness, and justice. But the gist of all of it is, we've got a problem. And Isaiah is the big voice that comes in and tells them they have a problem. God is going to have to send an answer. So here's the situation. From about 700 to 800, about 750 years before Jesus, the great empires of the world are breathing down Judah's neck. Now, remember, there was civil war in Israel. After Solomon, there's three great kings. They talk about about Saul, King Saul, first great king. Second great king is David. He's the one everybody looks back to. Then there comes Solomon. Solomon's reign was pretty disastrous, although he was given wisdom by God. He botched that, threw that wisdom on the ash heap of uh, biblical history and said, hey, I think I got some better ideas than God. And what he does is really messes it up so that there's civil war right after he leaves. And you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And as I always say here, Americans of all people ought to know north and south. The northern kingdom pretty much goes away after a series, a number of really bad kings. Almost every single one of them are bad. The southern kingdom, almost every one of those kings are bad, but there's a few highlights in there. And then you recognize that the northern kingdom is dissolved into Assyria. Assyria comes in, takes control, and you don't pretty much hear from those tribes again. The southern kingdom lasts a little longer, and they are eventually exiled in 586 BC, and there's a three, there's a, a series of three exiles. But they're exiled to Babylon. They're brought back 70 years later, and they begin the process of becoming God's people. All over again, not that they were never God's people, or for that, for that period of time, not God's people, but now they're coming back so they can be the launch pad for Jesus and for the day of Pentecost and for the gospel spreading out to all the nations of the world. So where we pick up this story is before Judah is taken captive by Babylon. And Isaiah comes in and says, we got a problem. And if we don't fix the problem, we're going to have a situation where we basically are fundamentally no longer here. And it's, it is a problem. And so where we're going to go to discover that problem today is just the first chapter of Isaiah. And we're going to read verses 10 through 17. So if you'd stand in reverence to the Word of God. Here, 
the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your many sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams. I've had enough of the fat of fattened cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courtyards? Do not go on bringing your worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the proclamation of an assembly, I can't endure wrongdoing and the festive assembly. I hate your new moon festivals. I hate your appointed feasts. They become a burden to me. I'm tired of bearing them. So, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Obtain justice for the orphan. Plead for the widow's case. I wasn't going to read this, but let's keep moving one more verse. Come now. Let us debate your case. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If, it's conditional, you guys. If, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. O Lord God, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So here's the situation. There are all kinds of nations breathing down the neck of Judah. There's going to be this nation called Assyria we've already talked about. But eventually, Assyria is going to give way to Babylon. Babylon gives way to Persia. And eventually, Persia gives way to the likes of Alexander the Great in Greece. In future decades and centuries, they're going to come. They're going to intimidate Judah. And not just intimidate them, they're going to carry them off. They think there are no more. They had to make a choice, which Isaiah the prophet makes clear. You can trust in your military and political moverings to survive, or you can trust in me. The chosen nation was called to be a servant so that all nations might be able to serve God. There'll be no way to be that servant if you trust in you. So here we go. Number one, he compares Judah to Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, that's like the biggest insult you could hand to people. This is the chosen people of God. They think they're God's favorites. Hey, God likes us better than he likes any other nation. He really likes us. And Isaiah says, well, you're Sodom right now to him. You're Gomorrah right now. You deserve his stiffest punishment, says God through Isaiah. They think they're God's favorites. Now, the reason they think they're God's favorite is they had the same theology that too many of us have. And too many churches across this world have right now. And that is, if you live like God wants you to live, you will prosper. And if you're prospering, that means he really likes what you're doing. Yeah, tell that to Job, right? Job was living exactly. Tamim, blameless, he was living perfect. And guess what? He lost it all. And his friends come to him and says, hey, Job, you've obviously messed up by God. 
He's punished you pretty severely. He says, I don't think so. That's the whole book. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. I don't think I have. But you're not prospering, Job. It it befuddles even him. Same thing here. They're doing pretty good. Judah's doing pretty good. They're prosperous. And so they think, hey, we're prospering. Apparently, God likes us. And God says, not so much. Despite all your temple sacrifice, despite all of what you think you're doing for me, your hearts and your actions are no better than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's shocking. It's insulting. And let me tell you what it is. I'm going to teach you a Latin phrase real quick. You ready to learn some Latin? You've heard it before. We just need to review this over and over again. Cor incurvatus. Say cor incurvatus. Okay, now I'm going to say ad say. Say ad say. Let's put it all together. Let's say it together. Cor incurvatus ad say. Cor is heart in Latin. So your heart is incurve is curved in. Your heart is curved in to say, I'd say is to self. Your heart is curved into you. And that was Luther's definition of sin. If you want to know how to really botch it with God, have your heart curved in on you. That's how you botch it with God. That's how you make him mad. And boy, God's mad here. He's not happy. Now, y'all, the opposite of that, which I don't know in the Latin, except that I asked my family, who all are Latin people, Hey, teach me the opposite of cor incurvatus ad se. And they said cor incurvatus ad alias, which is heart curved out, ex curvatus, cor ex curvatus ad alias, two others. In other words, God's saying, your problem is that your heart's curved into you. If there's anybody here this morning that has a heart curved into you or even to your family, that needs to stop the day. Your heart, your family's heart needs to be curved out to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and to the needy people of the world. We're going to get that a little bit later. But that's our role in this life, is not to take care of number one, is to recognize we are not number one at all. God is, and I'm going to curve my heart to Him by His grace, and I'm going to curve my heart by His grace to other people who desperately need me. Amen? And the problem with too much of the Christian church today is we had the same problem Judah had. We're taking care of number one. So the first thing he says is, you're taking care of number one makes you like Sodom and Gomorrah. Number two, religious practice can be despicable. Look at this, verse 11. Multiple sacrifices, burnt offerings, blood of bulls, lambs or goats, incense, new moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, appointed feasts. These are all things God has told them to do. And yet God says, they make me sick. It's not because those things make him sick. It's because they're a means of grace and you haven't turned your heart to me. You're practicing these things without taking me seriously. You think that by, and let me just bend it to uh, 2023 and us. You think that by going to church, everything's going to be okay. You think that by saying your prayers at night, everything's going to be okay. You think that by giving Dayspring some money, everything's going to be okay. You think by doing these things, going to small groups, doing all these things, that you're going to be okay. Not if you live like hell. Not if you live like the devil. And so these people were saying, hey, it says, it says in the 
Torah, it says in the first five books of the Bible, this is how you're going to live your life. So this is how we're going to live our life. And they live their life just like that. Bang, bang, bang. We know the right sacrifices. We know the right grains. We know the right incense. We know the new moons. We know the Sabbaths. We're doing everything God wants us to do. And he says, no, you're not. Because what I ask you to do is to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Now, those other things, I'm going to tell you, those are profitable things. And I will tell you, you didn't expect that I'd say something like this. Going to church is a really good thing. But not if you're using that as a shield to live like hell, to live like the devil. It's not a shield. You've got to give your heart to me. You've got to give your soul to me. You've got to give all your might to me. Then you've got to begin thinking, how can I be core excavatus adalias? Third thing is this. You may pray and God not even hear what you're saying. You say, no, no, no. God hears everything. Well, it's a little bit like we say, uh, what does God know? Well, God knows everything he wants to know. That's what we teach here. But we know both things are true. He knows everything. But frankly, he knows what he wants to know. And that is he chooses to forget some things. He chooses to say, your sin, I remember you no more. Could it be the same thing here? That yeah, I hear all your prayer, but I don't hear all your prayer. Look at verse 15. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are covered with blood. Now, we don't know exactly what this means, but we think it probably means something like this. Uh, I think you remember, we're, we're headed down a, we're in Israel a couple years ago, and we're, we're headed down the, the road, and, and the, the guy has said, tour guide has said, anytime you want to say something, just let me know and I'll hand you the mic. And so we're headed down this road, and the guy says, on the left is the Valley of Hinnom. On the right is, I said, whoa, you said the Valley of Hinnom? Ben Hinnom? He says, yes. I said, want the mic? I said, ladies and gentlemen, a whole bus full of people. Ladies and gentlemen, on the left, everybody turn your eyes to the left. Everybody look at us, says, is hell. You see, the valley of Hinnom becomes Gehenna, and that is the word for hell. At least one of the words for hell in the New Testament. Gehenna. Based on Ben Hinnom, based on the valley of Hinnom. Because in the valley of Hinnom, they had statues of the likes of Moloch. Big statue like this. Do I look like Moloch or not? Like I got the same countenance, right? Kind of ticked off. And what I want are your firstborn sons. Set them right there. Then burn them up. Then go have sex in the grass. And if you do those things, I will bless you. Says Moloch, who can't even talk. They just figure, oh, Moloch must be saying, so okay. So they burn their firstborn in the arms of Moloch. Go have sex in the grass. And guess what? They're prosperous. I think we're doing exactly what apparently God wants. And God says, you've missed some lessons in biblical history. You've missed some lessons here. Because I detest the blood on your hands right now. And furthermore, we think there may be murders of other kind. And they're thinking justified murders because we're all righteous and not all the world is. So they have murder on their hands. They have blood on their hands. They have the firstborn children on their hands. And what he's saying here is, I want you to know 
that if you have blood on your hands, it does no good to pray to God. I won't listen to you. They sacrificed to God and to other gods. Judah trusts in the Lord and trusts in other nations. They do the prim and proper religious behavior thing and despise the God with their lack of covenant living other times of the day and other times of the week. It does no good to try to play games with me. I know you. I know you better than you know you. If you're trying to play the church game with me and your heart is far from me, I won't even hear your prayer. His book, Why Prayers Are Unanswered, John Lavender talks about, some of you remember this name, Norman Vincent Vincent Peale. He said, when Peale was a boy, I just think this is a humorous story, he found a big black cigar. It was in an alleyway. He slipped into an alley, and he lit up that big black cigar. Now, you know, it didn't taste very good. He said, this is kind of a gross experience. But when he was smoking it, it made him feel all grown up, and he liked that part. I feel grown up right now. He was kind of enjoying that cigar for that reason. Didn't taste good, but I feel grown up. Until he saw his father turn the corner. So... In the most humorous part of this whole story, he sticks the cigar behind his back and tries to be casual. <laughs> now, I don't know everything about smoking. Some of you guys are more expert at this than I am, but I don't know everything about smoking. All I know is, you know, cigars once lit up kind of let off some smoke. So you can imagine this boy named Norm has smoke coming up his back, and he recognized, I'm about to get whopped. So let me try to divert my dad's attention. So he looks up at a billboard and says, hey, Dad, can we go there? He points at this billboard, talking about the circus. Can I go, Dad, please? Let's go when it comes to town. And his father said something that he never forgot. Son, never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. No kidding. And smoldering disobedience ain't just big cigars. Y'all, smoldering disobedience is this. I know the right thing to do. I'm choosing not to do it. Smoldering disobedience says, I know the thing not to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And y'all, it does no good to live life like that on a daily basis and then come to church saying, hey, hear my prayer, Lord Jesus. He won't. But when you finally come to the place of your life where you say, oh my gosh, I need his mercy. I need to come down to the altar, live the way he wants me to live, and come down and pour your heart out to him. All of a sudden, his ears get real big. I praise God regularly in my quiet times for the God being the God of big ears. Then this, the antidote is godly behavior. Look at 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. First off, he says, clean up your act. And what they learn here real quick is the thing they learn throughout the Old Testament is you can't. You need to have something outside of yourself that's going to clean up your act. We recognize that now as Jesus. We need Jesus to come. We're going to celebrate communion here in just a moment. And we celebrate the day when Jesus had his disciples around a table and he took bread and he broke it. He took a cup and he said, this 
is my body. This is my blood. And yes, it can wash you clean by my grace. Nonetheless, the challenge goes out. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. We know today that happens as we accept his body and the blood for our sins and for our cleansing. But then he says this, remove the evil of your deeds. Y'all, our church is, our church, the church in America, in the West, maybe even around the world, we're big at saying, I've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I don't have to do any works. In July, I got a book coming out. It's uh, co-authored with a famous guy named Tom McCall and a guy that's not quite famous yet named Caleb Friedemann. It comes out with, by Baker Academic, and it says, yes, you do need to do works. Yes, you do. Because people who have their sins forgiven and are saved by Jesus Christ do good works. If you think, I don't believe that's true, you haven't read your Bible. It says it over and over and over again in Scripture. If you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, you will do good works. And they talk about the good works. Let's run to the sound of the pain. Works of mercy are tremendous means of grace. And I love this congregation because so many of you have stepped out and says, and I want to be part of that. I recognize I'm saved, but now I need this salvation to go out from my life into other lives by the grace of God. I need to witness. I need to evangelize. I need to go serve the poor. I need to go out to the prison. I need to get to the abortion clinic. I need to get to the elementary school. I need to get to the nursing homes. I need to go do what Jesus told me to do. And as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, said Jesus. And as much as you didn't do it unto the least of these, you didn't do it to me, go to hell. Where's that in the Bible? Look it up. It's Matthew 25, 31 to 46. It's as striking a passage as I know for me in all of Scripture. It tells you straight up what you better be about in your life. That is, your salvation is not just for you. It's for God to work through you, Eugene, and to the kids at John Hopkins. Now, what he says to Eugene and every single one of us, put these things together. Be saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and do good works. Put that together, and that's the life God wants for all of us. And when you put that together, oh, Jesus smiles. The Father smiles. The Spirit smiles. The last point is this. Holiness of deed has to come from someone outside of ourselves. This is where we come to verse 18. Come now, let us reason together says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet by way of murdering and child sacrifice, they can be white as snow. <laughs> though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. If, if, if you consent and obey, you're going to eat the best of land. You're going to come back to this promised land, and this is going to be a good life for the nation. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I don't know about you all. I want in on verse 19. I want to consent. I want to submit to him. And I want to obey him. Because I want every morning, including this morning, I wake up and I pray through the sheep. And my bother list in the ministries of Dayspring. But the sheep includes your name, includes mentors of mine, family of mine, 
But the whole point is, I want that life for me, to be sure. But I want it for my sheep. For my family, yes, but not just my family. I want it for all those my family touches around the world. And I want it for people that I don't know yet. And I want it for people I will never know. But I want to participate in the consent and obey part of this. Because I want the world, particularly the unchurched world, the needy world, to eat the best of the land. It says how he's going to do it. Skip ahead a couple chapters. Don't have to right now. I'll just read it to you. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. And y'all, we celebrated Pentecost last Sunday. And he's not just with us. He's in us. We can live the life he wants us to live if we let him take over our life. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, and we end with this today. Give me all. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there, do a nice pruning job. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked. I want the whole outfit. I'll give you a new self instead. In fact, I'll give you me, myself. My own shall become yours. My heart will become your. Anybody here in for that deal? But if you're into that deal, you've finally got to say, we're not going to play games like Judah did in the book of Isaiah. By his grace, we want to be crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but Jesus lives in us. Amen? Amen and amen.